Welcome to the Cuban Genealogy Podcast, episode 302. Our mission is to keep you updated on Cuban genealogy and keep you entertained and informed about how to preserve your Cuban heritage. We hope you'll enjoy this interview with DJ and Ish, the hosts of the Better Let Me Tell You podcast. In this podcast, we talk about Cuban family stories, heirlooms, genealogy, Miami life, and everyone's favorite topic, Cuban food. And this is our first ever interview episode. Thank you, DJ and Ish. The Better Let Me Tell You podcast is available on your favorite podcast platform. And now, on to the interview. So I don't know if you read, so I started um, Digital Cuba with my friend who lives in Miami, Rich Dennis. He's a mm-hmm. teacher at Barry University and, F- and FI- FIU, and we're trying to preserve the parish records in Cuba for, ge- for genealogy. So mm-hmm. people like how me. Did that, how did that come up? Like, how did you guys decide? Because, I mean, I, I think genealogy is fascinating. Never would have occurred to me to, to go the route of, you know, the, the parish records. Well, so All we, of the, yeah, those are the most important ones. The most usually yeah, because they have like birth, death, and marriage. I didn't put that in the right order, did I? So it's birth, marriage, death. <laughs> so I'll, t- I'll tell you a little bit Depends about that. Depends who you are, I think. It's I'll, the right I'll, order. I'll tell you a little bit about that. So my grandmother, my grandmother's 93 years old. And um, she, um, you know, for years, uh, we knew about her mom. And her mom was born and raised in Spain and um, in Canaria. And uh, my grandmother, uh, as it was very common back in the day, you know, she didn't ask any questions <laughs> about, you know, her parents. Like, uh, that's not, that's not, those weren't conversations that children were involved in. And my grandmother didn't know my grandma, her mom's maiden name. She didn't really know her, her birth date. She kind of more or less knew her age, but not her birth date. Um, she didn't know anything about her. She didn't know her grandparents. She knew her grandparents' name by first name. She didn't know anything. So... You know, for years, I was like, I mean, how do we get information of this woman? And we have pictures of her. I mean, that's not a problem because she died when my grandmother was 16. So I said, hmm, she must have been Catholic, obviously. And I know that, uh, again, Catholic churches or parishes have the best um, records. Uh, They're that country census, pretty much, Census Bureau. And I wrote, I wrote the, to the, um, one of the churches in Gran Canaria, and I told them, this is what I'm looking for. This, the, this is the name of her parents. This is her, what we think is her name, and this would be approximately her age. And they sent us her birth certificate. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, we were right on the name of the grandparents. The, the grandparents... The mother was Josefina, and the father was Antonio. So we were correct on the name of the grandparents. So whoever got my letter put two and two together, even though I didn't have the complete information, they were like, okay, Josefina and Antonio, who gave birth to Maria Josefina, more or less around this time. Yeah. Yes, that's just, it just takes a long time. Like, so you see like Ancestry.com and these websites, like, they don't have stuff for Cubans or for Latin Americans. No, so exactly. I even go to the conventions and it's just, you know, English and Irish and German yeah. kind of focus. They don't, Latin America, Spanish speakers, they're just not, they don't really pay attention to them too much. So um, there's no think it's 
do, do you think it's just because it historically hasn't been the best in record keeping or do you think it's just a matter of for those companies in particular the expansion like they they go you know little by little by little by little and so they're focusing on english-speaking countries first and then expand 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 or well most of it's through the lds church mm -hmm. so that you know obviously it's not the catholic church so that, to me that's a very you know anglo focused yeah. religion in the u.s that's had their pro they've had a history with some racial problems so i think they're trying to get out of that right. um so i've talked to them but you know cuba is so complicated as far as like trying to get your information like mexico's you know easier well venezuela's not easy right now but argentina's easier but you know See. cuba's super complicated but Su cuba has like you know 500 years of history so it's a very rich a lot of a lot of interesting here like with those cuban stories you don't have to make anything up you just go off real stories and you it's there do, you could do yeah. soap operas and never have to make anything up <laughs> so and like 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 dj said there was a break in my family because part of my family was in cuba and the other half came here yeah. and there's just this yeah. like there's no. this, this what, painful break you know and what's also what's also difficult about cuba is because again, back to the records of parishes, is that uh, because, you know, well, Christianity or religion was outlawed after the revolution, that's uh, where no. it stopped. So those records don't really... They don't go past a certain date. They don't go back to a certain date, or they do, if there's still kind of churches that kind of kept on and did, it's not like official, like it used to be at once, once upon a time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a it's a, it's a, clu it's a cluster. <laughs> like, because I, I too, I signed up for Ancestry.com and I found a lot of things about my paternal grandmother because my paternal grandmother, they came to the United States in 1962 and then they went to Sacramento, California and they lived there for a while. Um, so I found things about her, um, but I didn't find obviously anything before mm -hmm. that. Mm -mm. So I'm, surprised to... you, I'm surprised that you haven't just, you know, gone off and looked on your own, Darian. Because, I mean, you, you love, well, I mean, well, as well, long as I've known you, you love history. And I well, mean, honestly, that is so. So the reason, so let me give Brian a little bit of uh, a background. I'm, I'm writing a book about my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, the 93-year-old one, because she was raised in an orphanage in Cuba in the 1930s. So I kind of, I kind of created this story that, that's kind of the anchor of, um, but that's not what the book is about because she was raised in an American orphanage. So I grew up with stories about this lady called Mrs. Williams and how she was so special to my grandmother and how they celebrated Christmas in the orphanage and how, um, even for that, I mean, imagine being in an orphanage in the 1930s of all times, you know, in a, you know, in a, an island in like Cuba, like that must have been horrible. So my grandmother always spoke very fondly of her and I kind of became fascinated on this character and I kind of created this kind of character in my head, in my mind of what she was. So I, again, I, I'm writing a book. I'm about 75, 80% done with the book. The part of the book I have not written is where I would go to Cuba. The, the main protagonist of the book, he goes to Cuba. And I wanted to, I, that's very important to me because I want to write from a first perspective because I can't write about Cuba from firsthand knowledge. And also, the real Mrs. Williams, the, the woman that my grandmother's talking about, they know where she's buried. 
It's in a very small um, cemetery in Cardenas. And obviously she has an Anglo name. So I am thinking that if I am able to go to the cemetery and find her tombstone, I'm gonna find her full name, her birth date, and when she died. So with that information, I can go back home to the States and then further look into her. So that, that would, that's my goal. But now, obviously, with all the restrictions <laughs> and flying to Cuba, it's, yeah. who knows? What would be interesting for that is if you did, like, do video of, of your experience mm -hmm. to, like, promote the book or just... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting. Yeah, yeah in my mind, I have the movie with the music <laughs> and, and, and the shots, yeah. But, but now, yeah, with the, mm -hmm. again, the restrictions they put on Cuba, for better or for worse, uh, I don't know... I don't know. What, uh, nobody really knows what's going on with that because some people could go, but then others can and, you know, who knows? No, right now you're not going to go either because it's co with COVID. Well, so. yes. <laughs> <laughs> right now, right now, we're not going anywhere. Right now, right now, we're all stuck at home. Yeah. So I've been to that cemetery. So mm. I love cemeteries because I'm a little bit of an introvert. So like, I don't have to like deal with people. You, you know, the cemetery, no one really bothers you. You just go and do Hopefully. all your... You do, yeah, if they do, then you're in big trouble. So, you know, at a parish, you're kind of at their mercy, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but most of the parishes have been um, very helpful. Um, and they want the digitization as well. They want to preserve those records because those books are disappearing. So about the 1700s, those books, like the pages are all stuck together. Or there's mm -hmm. bugs. I can see the bugs have crawled, eaten their way through a, a river through the book. So it's, you know like on an annual basis, we're losing all that information and all that connecting to, to people to the past. I get so many inquiries from young Cuban Americans that want to know that are starting and they, you know, they're frustrated because we're not on, you know, we're not on ancestry. And yeah, where do you start? If your grandparents passed away or they don't want to talk about it, like, like, like you said, some of those older generations just either don't want to talk about it or because it's Cuba, like it's, you know, they're trying not to, remember the past so yeah the separation for us it's very frustrating so i took about so before i started so i went on a student visa the first time and i went to cologne cemetery that's in havana and that online there were about 300 records and i got that to 5,000 records but there's like a million people buried there so so to get it to 5,000 is exciting but it's still like less than one percent yeah it's still, yeah. still growing like and even since I've, I've gone there over two years, like tombstones are disappearing because they're cleaning it up. And like, if it's broken, they get rid of it or other people buy the, the plot. So it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's a very frustrating, sad um, situation, but there are people that are paying attention to it. So mm -hmm. um, that's one of the questions I had was how do we preserve, you know, Cuban culture, Cuban history and, and get people excited about it and, well, I think that for 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 us, you know, the only way we can preserve it is through their stories because like yeah. just like, you know, people from the Holocaust or people that have gone through different experiences, you know, and uh, we it's very difficult to go back. So how we preserve it is through their stories. I mean, there's still a lot of people that have firsthand knowledge of Cuba before Castro of the revolution. Um, so that's the best we could do for now. And also, I think that a challenge for Cuba specifically is that whenever Cuba is fully liberated or whatever you want to call it, 
you know, this is in a country that for 60 plus years, history has been written, you know, by one side. So even just their own records and their own historical monuments and, and historical artifacts have to be like assessed in a different way because yeah. this is, they wrote their own history, whether true or not. <laughs> they wrote yeah. their own narrative. They created their narrative. Yeah, and that, that in and of itself presents an interesting situation too because when, when, you know, speaking the three of us, our Cuban heritage is based off of a Cuba that no longer exists. And moving forward, you know, we're going to have to figure out a way to kind of reconcile that Cuba, which was very, very real, but at this point is also very, very tinged with nostalgia, which as we know is many times rose-colored glasses with the people who are growing up now, you know, who, who stayed, people who were born into it, who, you know, don't know anything else. And it's, you know, when, when we say heritage, is that encompassing of every experience? And how does that work? You know, because my grandparents never, because I mean, they left, you know, early in the revolution, they didn't know what it was. Well, my mother's side didn't know what it was to stand in line for food. You know what I mean? They, they didn't know, eh, ¿cómo se llama la, la carta? Eh, carne. El carne. No, 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 pero the one that, the, the, the carne. El carne. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't know, you know, what it was to have a carne and things like that. But then there's people who that's all that they've ever known. So whose who's heritage, you know, becomes the quote unquote real one. And it's not that one is better than the other. But again, growing up over here in the States, I don't know what your experience was because, you know, you grew up in Arizona, so it's very different. But here in Miami, it was always this feeling of like, no, it's us Cubans and those Cubans. Yeah. You know, and with each passing generation, that's changed in the sense of, you know, when the people came in the Mariel in the 80s, it was like, oh, los Marielitos. Well, now in the 2000s, the Marielitos were okay. It was the Balseros. Now the Balseros are okay. And it's, no, esa gente que vienen hoy en día. So, yeah. so it, it's, it's, it's going to be a very interesting journey to, yeah. to reconcile and preserve the heritage. Yeah, and even, even los Balseros, I'm sorry, lo, los Marielitas, as they called them back then. Which this year, this year, isn't it yeah. um, the anniversary? Years. Years, yeah. But even them, they were raised, you know, a lot of these people were raised. My parents came right before Mariel. So they were raised in that Cuba before Castro. We so, have friends who came in the Mariel. So, but but the, the, the difference between the Marielitas and people now is that people now were born and raised in the system. Right. So okay. their ideal of Cuba and what the, you know, what Cuba means to mean and their heritage is something completely different than other generations before uh you know even if you came in the 60s or even in the 80s um i think that the last wave of like i want to say oc like cuba or cuba bc before castro was guantanamo uh 95 yeah, i think that's right there were still people there in their 50s that came during guantanamo that were raised um in cuba you know before the revolution so I think that was like the last wave of like mass immigration that came to the U.S. that kind of had ties to the old Cuba, but that was already 25 years ago. So, um, so yeah, like the people that come now, like I have two cousins that um, they're both in their early early to mid twenties that they can't got here like three or four years ago, and they, I we have nothing in common with them, <laughs> like in yeah. terms of of 
you know, our, what we think of Cuba and what they think of Cuba. It's something completely different. And, and yet you guys have probably a lot of cultural similarities, but there's so many differences that, to your point, didn't exist when people yeah. would arrive before. Yeah. Like, they, they didn't grow up. What's more Cuban, right, than having roasted pig no, in Nochebuena? Right? That is, like, if you were to put it in, like, a list of Cubanism, <laughs> that is, like, top three, yeah. you know? They didn't grow up with that because they don't have pork in Cuba. They haven't had pork in Cuba but in no. decades. So that wasn't something that they grew up with. Like, they celebrated Nochebuena, but, like, the, the ritual and the, the tradition of the pork, you know, the actual pig, that, that's not something that's, that's foreign to them. Whereas to us, it's like, like, that is one of the biggest symbols of our heritage. And we all come from the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I got this notification from Ancestry a couple of days ago. It said, your family's from Central and Western Cuba. They may have had cassava and it was just so ridiculous. <laughs> like telling me what my family may have eaten. And I'm like, I could, I don't know why this is necessary. It's just so. Yeah. First of all, it's called yuca. Okay. All right. Let's, let's clarify that ancestry.com. It's not cassava. (laughs) I just just find that, um, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but this is like a pet peeve of mine that in 107 episodes of our podcast, many times I've gone on rants about this. I just find that, um, American society as a whole or Anglo society, um, has no clue. Um, in, not necessarily in terms of Cuba, but just in terms of Latin American countries in general. I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you an example. Just the other day, I was at Trader Joe's, and they had a Cuban bowl. And I'm like, ha, 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 Oh, God, what was in it? I was like, ha, 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 ha. They, It had, like, cilantro. It had uh, some type of jalapeno sauce. I'm like, I don't even think there's a jalapeno in Cuba. I don't even think you can grow a jalapeno in Cuba. Not now. Not even antes. Right. Some type of jalapeno. And then it was yellow rice, but you could tell that it was spicy yellow rice. Not like the yellow rice that we do that's based on a chicken broth or whatever. And then it had beans, but it wasn't like... Lo- it had black beans, but not los frijoles negro as we have it, like in the soup. Oh, see, see. It was just like black beans, and I'm like, <laughs> like bless their heart for trying. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what? That's I mean, they got it all wrong. Let's let's just put it that out there. But I think that that does speak a little bit to to, to you know what what you were saying, Brian, which is how do we preserve the heritage? And I think there is an element to things like that. I mean, obviously here in Miami, you know, we have some restaurants like Finca, for instance, which is a, it's fusion of Cuban food and Korean food. Hmm. Now, obviously Korean food is not Cuban food, but that's, I think another way to preserve that heritage, which is to not just keep it, you know, no, arroz con pollo, arroz con pollo, arroz con pollo. It's like, you know what? Let's make an arroz con pollo croqueta. Let's make, yeah, you know, but, but even, it's, even but, that's a, but, that's a, but that's a new way of preserving the heritage because right, you're but, not losing it. But you're preserving a heritage because even finca, which is, it's actually Cuban, Peruvian, and, and um, Korean. Korean. So it's th- three different cuisines. Well, even that might not have been the best finca, example. Though. Even, even finca, what, what they have in Cuba, I'm sorry, what they have in terms of Cuban cuisine that, they mix it with everything it's spot on real cuban food so it's not right. it's not like it's their version of whatever cuban food may need 
um, it's spot yeah, frijoles negro or frijoles negro. They're yes, not and, and like, for example, the, the the girl we know, the girl who set up the the, the, the chef, Eileen um, Andrade. She went to um, Korea. Um, I'm sorry, to um, yeah, Korea. Yeah, yeah. She she was mentored there by someone, and I believe the same with the Peruvian food. So she has like the real authentic flavors and she kind of created something with that. But what I'm saying is that the base is authentic. Right. right but, but that's how, but, but, but yes, but that is how you, I think ultimately that's another way of preserving it because what you do when you do things like that is you're exposing it. You're exposing people who may not have gone to, you know, La Carreta or whatever other Cuban restaurant, but they would go there and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, these beans are delicious. Oh, you know, Oh, this a, it's a plantain. Oh, what have you. They may not have gone to a Cuban restaurant per se. And so that's another way that I think, you know, we're, we're being a little creative with, with the word preserving, but we're, we're keeping it going and, you know, everything has to evolve. I just it. think that with, with, issues with Cuba, but this is true of issues with most Latin American countries and Latin American cultures. I think that um, how the way it's presented to American or Anglo society is a watered down homogenous um, mm -hmm. view or meaning of what it is to be Hispanic or Latin. And it's wrong because it's a lot of these, a, a lot of what they present to be Latin is Mexican based or mostly influenced by Mexico or Mexican culture. Mm -hmm. And even that is wrong because, you know, the obviously things like Tex-Mex and stuff like that, you know, whatever. But like when you go to like a real, and I've been to like a real authentic Mexican restaurant, like legit, it's like, this is not what, what this most Americans think, right. This is not Chevy's. This is not what most Americans think, think Mexican food is. So even like, again, what the Latin or Latino image, which is supposed to be, again, heavily Mexican, even that is wrong because they, they don't get Mexico right. And they get everybody, they get everybody wrong, <laughs> including Mexico. So it's, it's just it's very frustrating. But having grown up in Arizona, Brian, I mean, did you, you know, your father's from Cuba. How did he, what, what little, what, what, what did he do to try and preserve the heritage? Because obviously... He must have done a good job because you grew up with it. You know, you, you grew up kind of, you know, respecting it and, and having a place for it in your heart and, and taking on this project. So with that Mexican influence, I'd be interested to, to understand how you were exposed to it. So I wasn't raised with my father, so, but he introduced me to my grandmother when I was 21. Okay. So I had her for 25 years. So she was more of an influence oh, wow. than he was. Mm -hmm. She was in Chicago. My parents were... A one night stand. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I went and sought the Cubans out because I knew, you know, I didn't have an identity crisis, but I had an identity, you know, like I want who, who am I? Who are my people? I, my step family's good to me, right. but who are my people? Of course. Who, who do I look like? Who do I come? Where do I come from? So, and that's why I was so excited to do graduate school in, in Miami because I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to be with the Cubans and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to just soak it up. You know, um, so I was raised by my mother, but I always had, you know, so I learned Mexican Spanish, which didn't go over very well with the Cubans. They, they weren't no. mean about it, but my grandmother was like, is this mi nieto mexicanizado? But, <laughs> but I loved it. I mean, I love Mexico. I love Mexican culture. I love all 
Latin cultures. Peru has right. good food. Spain, like I love sure. all of it, but they, we do get lumped all into one thing mm-hmm. where we don't, people don't understand that the food and the language and the, like Cuban Spanish is different than any other Spanish, you know? So you're, you're right. Americans don't get it. My, my American family, they don't, they don't understand any of it, but they, they just find it's amusing when I, you know, do some cellular, they don't know who I'm doing, but I'm just, you know, giving them a little taste because it's, it's, it's completely foreign to them. In Arizona, they know Mexican culture, but there's also, you know, some not so nice, you know, Anglo Arizonans that aren't nice to those other, other groups there. And luckily that never, that never passed on to me. I didn't, you know, I never accepted that into my own personal belief system, but definitely going from Arizona and then to Miami. And it was, you know, the mayor was Cuban and I'm like, you know, you have headquarters <laughs> Univision and, and Telemundo. Like we don't have, yeah. you know, it was just a different. You know, the food yeah. was different. Yeah. Um, How long are you know, down here? Uh, just for two years. Okay. So you know, it's funny when he said he was from Arizona and he's Cuban. I'm like, oh, that's two Cubans we know about from Arizona. <laughs> you know, it's the other one, right, Ish? Rachel Campos. Rachel <laughs> from the real <laughs> from world. <laughs> Because I remember when she said she was Cuban, I'm like, what are you doing in Arizona? Like, <laughs> what, are, what are they doing in Chicago? Like, why do my grandparents go to Chicago? Like, when I, well, I when think I asked, she, were they part of the relocation? No. So uh, my, gra- my grandparents' generation came over during Batista. So they didn't, oh. it was the early 50s. So it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. related to 1959, 1960. Of course, I had other relatives that came over different points like my great grandmother came over in 1980 at 90 years old mm. you know oh, wow yeah wow. god bless from right. during the, the Mariel, but, so. but but i also think that with with you um something that may have been shocking when you moved to miami is and we've talked about this on um on our podcast especially when we came back from california is that the latin experience in the west coast is very different than the latin experience in the east coast because even new york is more similar in terms of the experience in Miami mm-hmm. because in New York from from down from New York all the way to Miami there's all types of Latin, you know Latin American yeah. you know with Cubans, Colombians I mean here yes Cubans in Miami are the majority but there's a, a lot of Venezuelans Honduran yeah. uh, Nicaraguans Colombians but I, I mean a lot that they have their own little section you know of town too so, um, so it's very different because I feel that in the West Coast, everybody's Latino under kind of the umbrella of of Mexican. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, Chicano, Chicano, right, yeah. right. It, it's it's a it's a more kind of, you know, for better or for worse, like a more homogenized kind of um, experience than here. Because here in Miami, which is something that you know we've talked about in our podcast uh, as well, again. Um, People are very like here. You're not like we you're not Latino. Term, we don't use the term Latinx here, like at all, like at all. It, that term does not exist here. Here you are Peruvian. Here you are Colombian. You are Venezuelan, right. but you're from Miami. But you're 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 from Miami. <laughs> I'm from Miami. I'm from the 305. You know. <laughs> so it's it's like the the culture of the city is very much part of your identity as a Latin person. So that's why I think people here kind of live harmoniously in the sense that, you know, we're all, we're all very different and we celebrate those differences. I mean, 
like here now, Peruvian food is like oh shit. Like so good. There's so many Peruvian restaurants now that everybody flocks to. Um, but um, but here it's it's a very different experience. I think on the East Coast and on the West Coast. But even you know even New Jersey Cubans seem different than Miami Cubans to me. So oh they are yeah they are they are they are well, you know, they're racist, uh, they they have to deal with snow like. <laughs> Yeah, but I would think you know, met Cubans in Orlando and Tampa and Gainesville, like they're all little. You know, I feel you know it's some of those people that want to connect more to their Cuban heritage, but they're kind of they're in bubbles. Like me and being Arizona, um, there's no there's not going to be any Cuban culture for me to connect to in Arizona. So, luckily with the internet, you know, there's ways to make friends that way. But um, so I'm I'm interested. Like, so when you were growing up in Arizona. I guess for all intents and purposes, you were growing up white as, you know, a, a, a white kid. Did you feel any different? Did you feel there's something, there's something else under this, you know, like, or did you feel true? Did you feel white or you just didn't think about your Cuban heritage? Well, my mom told me that my father was Italian because my last name's Bello. Mm, so yeah. she's like, your dad's Italian. I mean, they were together for what, two hours. So you don't get a lot of those legal details you know yeah so uh i tracked him down in chicago and um when i was 21 so at 14 i thought it was italian so i was making pasta at home and like wow all all laid out on all the beds but it's it's really hard to be italian like to make pot you, you don't come home and just make pasta and eat it like you gotta it takes a day or two like you gotta make dinner for tomorrow today so and forget the meatballs that's a whole that's a whole sunday a whole other yeah so um i met my cuban father you know we had the same fingernails and i could see the eyes like and it was like you know this is my people i said can you tell me about our italian heritage he's like we're not italian we're cuban and i was so happy i'm like i never have to make pasta again (laughs) (laughs) this is such a great story i love it and why did your mom did your mom say italian because she just thought it was italian or Oh, oh, again, again, remember, it was a one night stand. They, they didn't have, you know, a lot of time to, to talk about those nuances. No. There's no family tree conversation that came up during that, right. <laughs> in that exchange. So, you know, then he introduced me to his mother. She, she doesn't speak very good English. And she was the first woman, first female barber in Chicago. Wow. So, mm. so we have a lot of these, you know, Cuban Americans have a lot of these kind of cool stories that, like the coolest thing on my on my mom's side is my tenth grade grandmother was a Salem witch. Ooh, oh so, wow! So now I'm looking for my like Santeria connection. <laughs> oh, you have it. So so I have like these two like dueling spiritual you know conflicts you know for my soul like Salem. Love it. You know, I'm, I'm sure trying you to sell. It. I'm trying to sell it to Netflix. Like I would try. You know what? Try Quibi. They're 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 looking for for content. And that's only like 10 minutes an episode. That's fine. Exactly. Quicker pitch. Because remember, Cubans, even Cubans that don't practice Santeria, they may not believe in it, but they respect Respect it. it. Yeah. You don't deal, you don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. Just leave it alone. Walk away. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we did talk about that Cuban identity. So have either of you done a DNA test? I haven't. I have not. Oh. So that would be awesome if you, even for your own podcast, or if you want to do a follow-up podcast with, with you know, with with me, it would be so interesting because 
you know, it gave me a heat map. It knew, I didn't tell them where my ancestors were from, mm-hmm. but it knew Pinar del Rio and it knew Santa Clara. Ah, so that's where my family, knew, my mom's family is from Pinar del Rio. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's like the Western mystery land. Like, yeah. not a lot of, like, oh. there's, nobody knows what's going on there. So They don't talk very good about Pinareños. No, they do not. And the further no, the further you go into an Oriente, the the no, the, the less no, favorable. And actually, you know, it was really interesting. So some years back, um, I lived in a high rise, and when I mean high rise, I mean high rise. I lived on the forty eighth floor, and my brother's wife's family was from Pinar de Rio. Um, her cousins came from Cuba, and this poor girl, she was probably in her late twenties, early thirties. They had been here like a week. And they took her to my apartment. And my apartment was on, again, the 48th floor. And it was floor-to-ceiling windows. So if you're afraid of heights, I mean, a lot of people went to my place that were afraid of heights. I just had a terrible time because there was literally nowhere to hide because it was floor-to-ceiling windows. It was like an aquarium, imagine. So when she gets to my apartment, she sits down. And she wasn't doing well. Like, And we even offered her, like, an Advil or something. And... Um, I was like, well, no, that, that's just, you know, she's not feeling well, then take her home. And the problem was that she didn't want to get back on the elevator because she had never been in an elevator in her life. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I know things are bad in Cuba, but my parents are from like a shithole little town in Cuba. And even they had been on an elevator before they came to the U.S. And they're like, no, she's never been. And, they're like, and my mom tells me, except porque ella es de Pinar de Rio. <laughs> And I was like, I'm like, so they don't have any buildings in Pinar del Rio that are more than two floors? That's it, two floors. I don't think I ever have ever been on an elevator in Cuba either. And I've only been to like Havana and Santa Clara, but I don't remember ever being in an elevator. I don't think. That's so how, how was your how was your experience in Havana? Um, it was good, but you know, it's not my grandparents. Havana. So I went to, I have their address from their immigration card. So I went to that house and now it's a museum. So I went there and they were, they were closed. Their house is a museum. It's like a, a, it's like a building that has like a, not a nursing home, but like a, it's a home for older people. Cause she was 90. So that's where she, that's her last residence before ah, she came okay. over. So, you know, you don't have, you share a bathroom and a kitchen. So everyone has their own bedroom. So it's okay. kind of like a dorm for older people, but it was a really old building. So the guy let me in. He's like, you can go around, but don't touch anything. And just, you can take a few <laughs> photos. So, you know, he was, he was super nice. It's near like, um, the chocolate factor, the, the chocolate museum that's in, in Havana. So when I went to old Havana, it was really overwhelming because it's so, it's kind of big and there's like canyons of buildings. So, you know, DC, we are the, our tallest building is 12 stories and they're not, they're not so close together. You know, it's a, it's, Havana's an old colonial town, so it's not, I'd never really been in that environment before, but um, I, I really liked it there. When I was there, they were cleaning it up for the 500, 500th birthday. Mm-hmm. So even after, even though I've seen over, over two years, it's, you know, it, it's improved a lot. You know, they're trying to paint stuff and um, yeah. I, I try not to spend too much time there because my family's from, from the middle and then we were trying to focus on digitizing these churches. So and you know, transport. I went to Matanzas, and like the transportation's not easy. You have to sit like in a fifty-seven Chevy. Where my from? Huh? My family is from the province of Matanza. 
but they're from a they're from a very small town called called Calo Roja. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I spent two days in the Matanza Cemetery taking pictures and and you know I I have a I get a little of these premonitions and I knew I was going to find something shady going on and I I found it you know out in the corner I found some some ritual that had just happened and uh, you know it was just oh yeah it was just a little bit shocking being from Arizona and not having any of that <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you see some of that here. Um, that's why I, if we would go, we'd be like, oh, look, you know, oh, that's that ritual. How did, you, how did you find Matanzas, the city? Because I hear it's very pretty. They call it the city of bridges. It's beautiful. It's, yeah, so it's, it has like a harbor. So you kind of, you kind of drive around. It has some hills. It's beautiful. There's, you know, there's the old churches there. The, the plaza's beautiful. Um, there's the Hershey train station there. It's like I'm fascinated by Hershey, Cuba. So the Hershey train station goes from there to, you know, the sugar mills. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a beautiful town. The cemetery is, is very big. So I, I took about a thousand photos at that cemetery. Um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the Hershey connection um, because my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, he worked for... Um, for uh, La Central Progreso in, in, in there. And that was a sugar mill and they provided sugar to Hershey's. Wow. Yeah. So I went to Hershey, Pennsylvania and they let me have access to their Cuban documents mm-hmm. that cool. nobody, nobody's interested in those documents. People want to know about Hershey, Milton Hershey in Cuba, but no one's ever asked about the Cubans. Mm-hmm. So they let me like copy um, employee roles. You know, I have a letter from the first Oh the my. Wow. Yeah, so the mother that had the first baby in at Hershey, you know, at the Hershey plantation, she wrote a letter to Mr. Hershey. Like there's so many beautiful stories there and nobody's nobody's paying That's attention. Like like I follow every little thing and I'm trying to, you know, find there's so much there's a lot of Cuban history that's in the US that I don't even have to go, you know, go that far. Their their archives not online, but when I went in, they had this whole exhibit on on cuba and i was like i didn't know where to focus like do i go to the library do i go to this 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 exhibit it was so amazing and i'm taking pictures of all the anything that has a picture of a person with their name in it because none of that information is documented in any one place mm-hmm. so if you do have a relative in in hershey cuba and they were there for about like from the 1918 to 1940 like that's a big chunk of time so mm-hmm. My mom, my mom and my aunt, um, because how, how I guess it worked is that their job was sort of seasonal um, at the sugar mill. Um, so my mom and my, my aunt, when they would move, they, they had their house in Calo Roja, which is where they were born and raised. Uh, but then when he worked, whatever amount of time of the year uh, at La Central, and they would live there and... It was like more like a farm atmosphere, obviously. Um, so that's why, like my mom and my aunt, like growing up, and this would have been in the fifties, um, they had uh, pictures of them growing up both in the farm and more in the city. But there's the city they lived in had five thousand people, so <laughs> so that wasn't much of a city. But but yeah. <laughs> well, and some of those cities have been renamed, you know, so that gets it gets sure. confusing. Yeah. Yeah. No, theirs is still named. Oh, it's, good. Yeah. It's, it's, my mom says it's a shithole. That's what she calls it, the shithole. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because it's a really small town, like, they grew up in. It has, like, one street. 
like one main street. And, um, you know, uh, uh, we were talking about the nostalgic Cuba. Um, my parents, <laughs> even before BC, before Castro, obviously they talk fondly about Cuba because that's where they grew up in. But they're like, you know, like the first time my parents ever went to like a, a club or like a disco was here in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was really bad for them. Like, I think when you grew up in a small town, because they had people from a comité, you know, in every block, there was more, uh, they were under a microscope. Right. And, and they had a lot less. Um, I mean, if, if the whole country was suffering in terms of resources, they had even less resources there. Like I often tell the story that my, my parents um, got married within a day of each other in terms of my aunt and my uncle. So my dad's brother and my mom's sister are married. You got that? Yep. My mom's sister and my dad's brother got married. The two brothers so, married the two sisters. So my mom, and my, my mom and my dad got married one day and my aunt and my uncle got married another day. And I'm like, well, why did you do that? Like, you couldn't the following go to each other. day. The, literally the following day. I'm like, you couldn't go to each other's weddings. And my mom was, and there, the, the answer for that was that the one wedding dress que Palacio de Novio tenía, um, that is when it was available. <laughs> That's why my mom, my mom and my aunt got married in the same wedding dress. <laughs> and um, the church that they got married in, they got in a very, very small church. Um, that's when it was available so it wasn't like when you would pick it it was whenever it was available and i think that like the next availability would have been like a whole year later or something like that so that's why they ended up getting married the you know consecutive dates it wasn't because they wanted to it was because they didn't have another choice that's an amazing story is this all going in your book no no that's <laughs> not part of my book that's not part of my book but it's actually amazing. what i do want to do aside from the whole book is um, because my grandmother, my grandmother is quite the storyteller. And um, especially when she's alone with me, uh, she's quite the storyteller. And whenever this is over, this whole coronavirus thing, I actually, for a while now, I've been wanting to kind of sit her down in like kind of an interview kind of setup, like legit, like I want to put a mic on her and I want to, you know, put a mic on me and record an in like an interview and get everybody out of the house yeah. Um, cause she tells you very intimate things and get, get everybody out of the house and have her for like a good three, four hours. Cause you know, older people, when they start talking about these things, they just go on a roll. Yeah. Um, and she's, she's actually, she has a very good memory about, you know, things. So I actually do want to do that. I did, when I did it with my grandmother, I did a few of them just because they, she gets tired or she right. gets disinterested. So I'm like, okay, we'll put this away. And then, you know, a week later, I'm like, did you think of who that, you know, what your cousin's name was? You know, and I, I write things down or, mm -hmm. um, but that's important for us. Like even the younger generations, we need to write down the stories that we know because yeah. we, know, we know we've been told some things, but it might, no, might not be written down anywhere. So yeah, yeah no. and what re what really interests me about her stories, which I mean, this is something that it, it's true of everybody, is that um, I'm I'm I've always like I take a lot of pictures. Like you could ask Ish, I take 
thousands of pictures everywhere at the I go, moment I, I will tell you at the at the moment it's a pain in the ass but then you know when you realize that you've got pictures starting when you were like 10 years old up until like last week because of sure. him you are very grateful that he has taken I mean, all these pictures i you know you know the little pocket cameras i i've had one of those since like the late 90s and i would take the little ones yeah and i would take them with me everywhere and i would take pictures so obviously when camera phones started there we go. Now I was there. So, I mean, I could take in one day, I could take a hundred pictures of just nothing. And I've found that the pictures that interest me the most are the mundane everyday pictures because everybody takes pictures at their birthday party. Everybody takes pictures in Christmas. Everybody takes pictures, you know, when somebody gets married or whatever, but it's those daily like pictures. It could be just the view in the supermarket that, well, those, those are my favorite pictures that you've taken of us, like yes. our, our group of friends. Like when we've literally just been like, you know what? Today we're going to go to Target for no reason. Right. And, and then 10 years later, you look back and you look at not how much you have changed, but the, the store and the brands and the labels and stuff like that. Right. That's the type of stuff I love. So going back to my grandmother, what I love is when my grandmother tells me like these everyday stories, like that have no significance in terms of like the family tree. But it's going like, like to the market. Everyday stories like, yeah, she would tell me, no, porque yo iba y yo compraba cinco libras de arroz eh, por un dólar or whatever. Y traía la java and then hacía este tipo de arroz. Because then I start picturing it in my mind, like the young version of my grandmother doing this. Um, and then I picture like them four, my mom, my grandmother, my grandmother, and my mom and my aunt. Like how their daily life must have been, you know? You know, the mundane everyday life that he went to work and the girl stayed home and, you know, that whole thing. Um, so it, it, that's what I'm interested in, which actually it trips me out. It trips me out that till this day, um, like obviously at this point, it's older people, but older people that call my grandmother, <laughs> they'll ask her, her name is An- Angel- Angel- Angelina, they'll be like, Angelina. ¿Y cómo están las niñas, las muchachitas? And I'm like, las muchachitas are their 60s and 70s now. Like, but, but I think, I, I, it's ridiculous, but I think, oh, because she had two daughters. That is what they, you know, how are the boys? How are the girls? You know, how are they right. doing? And even 50, 60 years later, people are still into that. So that's what interests me are those everyday little stories. Because those are the ones that years later you go back and you're like, oh, my God, look at this. And those, a lot of those relatives have like funny nicknames. And oh, all of them. In his family, forget. in his family, everybody has a nickname. Yeah, and they kind, you kind of forget their real name. Like they're like, <laughs> they have all these funny nicknames. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's funny that you say that because before the right before the coronavirus hit, that the, I think it was one of the last time I went to my parents' house. Um, they were actually talking about that. They were talking because um, my dad's side of the family is Carbol. And in that side of the family, they are notorious for what you're saying. Notorious. Like, they'll call somebody perico, mantequilla, eh, like stuff like that. And I think there was one of them, I think it was like Perico Carbo, that they were like, what was his real name? Was it Angelo? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Just tell them not to put it on their tombstone because it confuses people. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to document all these things. So, and that actually, you know, it's funny. So that actually happened to me in real life, um, how it affects your real life. One of these people, 
Uh, actually, it was mantequilla. <laughs> God, mantequilla. <laughs> um, I'm in a, I'm an attorney, and some years back, um, when I was doing litigation, there was something he needed to help me that I needed. He needed my help on, and he came to my office. <laughs> um, I felt stupid asking him, but I'm like, so what's your name? <laughs> like, <laughs> You should have just put Mantequilla no, on the document. Yeah. Actually, you know what I did? I go, <laughs> I, go, I go, hey, 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 can I have your driver's license? Because I need, I need to, like, make a photocopy of it for the file. So that's how I got his name. Because I felt stupid. I mean, I've known this man since I was a baby. Like, being like, so what's your name? <laughs> that's awesome. Like, everyone's named Mongo. And I'm like, on your birth certificate? Like, your parent named you Mongo Garcia? And they're like, no, that's not it. And they have to ask each other, like, what's Mongo's real name? Mm-hmm. So it's just my, these funny, they, they, they forget the real name. And just, that, that's Mongo or that's... That's true. Mongo. In, in, my family, in my family, I'm Dato or Dati. Yeah. That's like my grandmother, but it's very common, is Mima. Like, Mima. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will tell you right now, I don't know your, your uncle's real name. Which one? Eh, eh? Roger's dad? No, el, el papá de, de Jeannie and Jennifer. Bibi. Uh, I don't know his real name. Renier. Ever since I've known you, it's Bibi. So I don't know the man's real name. His name is, Ren- <laughs> his name is Renier. Renier. Okay, coño, de Renier a Bibi. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, not, that's not a big thing on my side, uh, like with my family. I mean, we have the occasional, like my grandmother's name is Caridad, so she's Cachita. But I mean, that's like a, that's a general one, you know, but for the most part, we just shorten names, you know, he say la, he say, you know, that type of stuff. But yeah, no, the, the, we're not, we're not, for some reason, we're not that fam, that family of the chuchis and the, and the machis and the chuchos and yeah. So something that I find, which I, I, I don't know if, you know, this is more applicable to you, Brian. Something I find really interesting about Ishmael's family is because, again, my family came, my parents were the last people of their family to come. Um, they came right before the Marielle. Um, my paternal grandmother, as I said, she came in the early 60s, and she was like a total rock star. She uh, wrote yeah. to Congress. She met with senators, and she brought all five of her children, who at this point were adults and married, she brought all of them and their kids, all of them, to the U.S., like legally with like a, a visas and like, I think my parents already had their green card when they came to the United States. Like she was a total rock star when it came down to that. Um, but, but my family came in later, but like, for example, what I find really interesting about Cubans in particular is, you know, again, going back to the culture and the heritage, like for example, um, in Ish's family, his parents were raised in the U.S. And, like, his grandmother was – I'm sorry, your father was raised, what, in New York or New Jersey? In New Jersey. Because my, my father came as uh, on the Peter Pan flights. Right. So wow. you, could, like, you could, like, say that his parents are first generation, right? Right. But yet him and his sister are, like, super Cuban. Like, super, super Cuban. Yeah. That sometimes I'm like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like and, and look how – down the line they are yeah. so yeah, i think my, that that's really interesting in terms of cubans because I, I think my father I, I am horrible with dates as as daring will tell you um but i think my father came when he was either eight or nine um it was him and his two older sisters and so he came on the peter pan flights but my grandfather and my grandmother on my father's side were separated at the time so my grandfather was in this country he lived in jersey 
So they basically did a stop over here in Miami for like, I think a day or, or what have you. And then boom, they, you know, my grandfather showed up, picked them up and took them to New Jersey. But, you know, my father didn't come down here to Miami until I think he was maybe 19 or so. And basically the only reason he did that is because by that point, my grandmother had come to this country with their, their two younger siblings as well. And everybody had just come down to Miami Been coming the migration from Jersey to Miami had started. And my dad was kind of like the last one up there. And he's like, well, screw that. If, you know, if mom's going down, then I'll, I'll just join the rest of the family. But my, my mother came when she was middle school age, give or take about sixth grade. Um, and so straight to Miami. So my mother, you know, can tell you stories of seeing Miami literally through, you know, through the years. And yet it's funny because my father growing up in Jersey, my father's English is a little bit better. My mother, again, she's been here for like 50 plus years. And it's like, sometimes I tell her, I'm like, and like me and my sister laugh and we're horrible people for it. I know, but it's just like, how is it that mom grew up in this country and she has this thick accent? Like she, like, like she just got here maybe 10 years ago. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's, they're totally different. Like totally it, it, different. It, it's fascinating your to mom me. and your dad. Totally different. You know, it's fascinating to me. And yet having even still growing up in Jersey and New York and the North, my father has very like Cuban type values. You know what I mean? Where you would think, oh, well, you know, he grew up, I eat, you know, and Norte, you know, and whatever. And it's, and, and no, you know, so it's, it's weird. I, I, it's almost like some things are just ingrained in us in some weird way or shape or form. But know? I find, I find that interesting about Cubans in particular, because there's a lot of other like people that like come the first generation, like the second generation doesn't even speak Spanish. And Cubans are very big about that. Um, I have a six-year-old and he speaks Spanish because I'm like, you are going to speak Spanish. Uh, whether when you're, culture. Adult, whether you're, when you're an adult, you want to use it or not, that's your problem, but you are learning Spanish. And when he was, until he started uh, preschool, he spoke only Spanish. Everybody he spoke Spanish spoke, better than I did. He spoke, everybody spoke to him in Spanish on purpose. And now that he's in kindergarten, you know, he's going through that phase of like, Spanish is not cool. And I'm like, You'll, you'll grow out of it. <laughs> like, uh, you'll grow out of it. You but went through that phase. I, I went through that phase. Yeah, you go through a phase that you're like, eh, you know. Because with me, like, I remember as a kid, um, you know, I would watch American sitcoms and be like, that is not my family. <laughs> like, we don't, have, we don't have meatloaf for dinner and sit quietly around the table. So uh, for me, I had a problem kind of like, uh, um, you know, feeling like where is exactly my place. But, but I think that now, uh, especially that we're – society you know in terms of society we're a lot more like aware of our heritage and mm -hmm. now it's kind of really cool to celebrate it um yeah it was very important that he speaks spanish uh i don't think that not speaking the language makes you any le more or less proud but i mean if i can teach him the language i am because yeah. why why wouldn't i i recently saw something actually um she didn't coin the phrase but it was jenny lorenzo who actually was was speaking about this she did a video um and just so happened to have seen it this morning and she talks about you know she's obviously like us cuban american and she calls it living in the hyphen mm -hmm. you know where you are and I, I i she calls it living in the hyphen but i call it like you know i'm not 50 50 i'm 100 100 
where it's like, I am a hundred percent with the Cuban culture as far as what I was raised in the Cuban culture. And I feel a hundred percent in the American culture because I grew up in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it comes down to is it's, you know, you're not either or you're both. You're both, you're both simultaneously. Um, Brian, have you watched um, Que Pasa USA? I, I started watching it on YouTube because everyone was talking about it. And I'm like, you know, I, I like, I like learning to be more Cuban. So sure. I started watching it. The, the, the phrases like I, that's gonna, I'm probably gonna have to keep learning that the rest of my life. Cause Cuban like little phrases, like there's so many things that aren't in a textbook. Do, so do you know, the, do you know the history of that show? Um, I, and it was started like 19, 19- 80 or no it ran it ran from 76 to 80 and it was it actually won an, a local an emmy it, it actually it's an emmy award mm-hmm. winning show and it was on public television because at that time since cubans were um so many cubans were coming to south florida uh public television down here uh kind of made up the show uh you know in terms of like entertainment and both like learning uh of the culture for you know Americans that lived here and for Cubans also to kind of understand the culture. And what we always say about that show is the legacy of it. Uh, just let me give you an example. <clears throat> that show last year here in Miami, they actually did a stage of play of it of Que Pasa USA 40 years later. And many of the original actors were in it because that wow. show has never lost its popularity, never. And there's DVD box sets of it. And, and I mean, that show has never, ever, ever been off the air either. It's still run on public television here in Miami. And the reason why I asked you if you've seen that show is Que Pasa USA, what I mean that it perfectly captured the Cuban experience, especially at that time in Miami, is an understatement. Like you watch that show, that was my house. That yeah. was yeah. my parents, my grandparents. That was my our culture. Cousin. That in, was in... that's why that show has lived on for so long. Because from the way they speak to the references they make in Miami, Boya Ira Saire, that was a very popular story here in the seventies and eighties. To the way they speak is it's it's lightning in a bottle. No other show like one day at a time is great. Um, it comes close it in comes its close. in its attempt, and it's you know it comes close. And there's parts of we interviewed Gloria Calderon Kellett, who is a, a writer, creator. And creator, one day at a time. And when you watch that show, you could tell it was written by somebody who's Cuban, right? Um, because there's just certain things that you can't fake. Uh, and there's other shows that have come close, but Quebasa USA is like kind of the benchmark because if you want to know exactly what the Cuban experience is, that is a show to watch. If for better or for worse, and actually in our interview with Jenny Lorenzo, we talked about Kebasa USA, and she made a really good point of how the flaw of the characters, because there are shows in that, in that um, there are episodes in that show that there's racism, there's homophobia, that you look at it from the lens of 2020, and you're like, oh my God. Did yeah. they just say that? But that but was the, that's our people. That's but, our people for better or worse. But but the, the thing is that those characters are supposed to be flawed because you have no matter who you are, you have someone in your family that makes those comments that you're kind of like, holy shit! Like, what the hell did you just say? Um, 
and and the characters are supposed to be flawed. They're not supposed to be, you know, right. uh, yeah. you know, um, people you look up to. They're supposed to be flawed. So I, I encourage you to really like watch it, uh, or even they sell the DVDs on Amazon. It's thirty nine episodes, and um, and again, it's it, it touches upon everything of Cuban culture, of like the real legit Cuban culture from overbearing and then what's really cool about it if you've seen a few episodes is that you probably notice that it's the, the grandparents the parents and the kids so you have that whole thing how the kids are americanized the grandparents are always talking about Cuba, and the parents are somewhere in the middle which that is very realistic to that time especially so i mean we we can't talk about kebasa usa enough yeah we, we could spend like another four hours we, just talking we about it. Watch like, it yeah we, we still watch it till this day and we Crap. We, I will say, we have we have interviewed our fair share of phenomenal people. We've met because of this podcast. We've met some super duper top tier, you know, talent writers, actors, singers, etc. One of, and I think you will agree with me, Darian. One of the pinnacles of of having this podcast is when we we didn't get to interview him, but we went to an art showing of the actor who played the father on Que Pasa USA. Wow! And for us, it was like. It was like, I'm getting a little teary-eyed right now, actually, because it was like meeting, finally meeting family. Yeah, he felt like family. He felt we like grew up family. Watching him. We, we, we grew up watching him, and he was un tío, un somebody, because we, the, we, the we knew him. The character that he played was, yeah, was somebody in our family. Um, so it's just, it's, it's a great, great show. I mean, we can't stress it enough. And again, so great that 40 years later, there was there was a stage show here, and the stage show did so well that I think it's probably they extended it a bunch of times. They so originally it was only it was only going to run I think for like maybe two weekends, okay, at like one of the biggest performance centers here, the Arts Center. It kept selling out, and I think it ran. It still only did weekend showings, but I think it ran for like a month and a half, and it was only supposed to be two weekends. Yeah. No, I think it even ran for longer than that because I think it went away for like it went know, right, a week and or then two, they came. Yes, and then it came back again yeah. because yeah, of right. overwhelming. It was like overwhelming the response you're uh, right. because because of how relevant again, how relevant forty years later the show still is. So, so watch it, watch, watch, try to see if you're looking at uh, uh, on it. What would be what would be like the top five episodes we should I tell him tell to him watch? The episode of the of the reality show when the that's the pilot, no, no, the pilot no, is a quinceañera. The pilot is a quinceañera. I would say the episode of um, when they come to uh, do like a, a, a reality show at their house of what a Cuban family is. That one is that one is yeah. hilarious. Um, the citizenship test. The citizenship test definitely when um, they're practicing to become a citizen. And I love the garage sale. <laughs> like, <laughs> the garage sale is a great one, yeah. The garage sale is a good one. So, And I think I would say um, the one where Godman has a computer friend. Yes. Yes. That one's a little controversial, but, you know. <laughs> For all the right reasons. I still watch uh, I Love Lucy and enjoy all those, like, I Cuban, love it. Cuban references in there and I love it. And, and, you know, talk about, talk about somebody who, who has made a lasting impact, not just in pop culture, obviously, but in the way that things are created, because Desi Arnaz was the pioneer that we still use of the multicam sitcom, right. you know, filming system. And he's Cuban. 
he's the one who created it. And, you know, so again, it, it just, it speaks to how we've had this legacy here for years and years and years and years and years. And we, which is weird because Cubans love to tout our, pat our own back. We do. Um, but, you know, we, we've contributed so much to this country, you know, as have other Hispanics and, and, and Latin, you know, cultures, but we don't always kind of pound our chest about it, you know, and, and we don't always maybe get the credit that we should, but look how we're interwoven, you know, just as far back as you said, like I love Lucy. Mm-hmm. I love have that. you, um, have you, um, Brian, have you talked to, or do you follow Martha Darby of my big fat Cuban family? family? I know of her, but I don't, I don't follow her. She's in, in California. Yes. In yes. Um, the LA area. She's, yeah. She's, uh, somebody great to uh, speak to. She's uh, we call her one of our fairy godmothers because she's absolutely amazing. And she, uh, so she runs this blog, my big fat Cuban family. And I think she gets like 80 to 90,000 hits a day. Um, and she knows, I think she knows every Cuban in the West coast, like it's <laughs> quite incredible. And um, you know, it's really interesting to hear her experience because again, she was raised. You know, she she came to the states when she was like five or six. Yeah, she again, very young. She's practically first generation, and she's very Cuban. And her daughter. So I talk a little bit about our daughter. <laughs> this we, is the the epitome of nature versus nurture. Okay, like her this daughter. Is... When we went exactly when we went to LA last year, we met up with her and her daughter at Porto's Bakery. Yeah. And, and mind um, you, this was a this was the first time we had actually met her. Sorry. Looks like she came off the raft. Yeah, Darian. No, sorry, I, I interrupt you because this was literally the first time that it, it, we had ever met Martha. We had interacted with her. We had her on the show, but but I, you know, via we, we had had her on the podcast. Skype. We had spoken. Yeah, but it felt like family. Person. Oh yeah, it's like oh, it's Mar- it's Marta. It's it's Marta. It's Marta. Like and it, you know that's just how we are culturally. Her daughter is Treminda Guanasa, like Treminda Guanasa, and um, she even speaks and does the you know Miami thing, and I'm like, are you sure you're you're not adopted? Because like you know, it, it didn't make any sense that her mom, who came to the United States when she was five, and her daughter is so freaking Cuban, like like she leaves you Ishmael behind i think she's more, oh no she's more cuban than all of us put together and here oh, she yeah. was you know second generation raised in la and the cubanity to quote martha yes um you know overwhelmed her like it, that's who she was so it was it was they're they're great she's somebody great to be um you know if you're ever curious or just want to know uh, more uh, about because she even has like recipes and stuff like yeah. how to make pastelitos de guayaba and and I'm con pollo and all that because again she's in LA so her resources aren't like our resources here right she has a restaurant no she has a blog oh. she has blog. a she has a blog but I mean she she might as well have a restaurant because she's always cooking and and making all these things and you know she she grew up with with that and you know again. Proud. She's very popular. She came down here in, in December and we hosted her. And um, she was here for like maybe a week. A and week. Yeah, change. Yeah, about a week. And she had so many invitations here from different people in the community. 
Like yeah. it was one after another after another because even here she's very popular because she's kind of like holding the fort on the West Coast. Wow. Um, yeah, but she was great. She's a, yeah. she's a great resource to have. Yeah, she would definitely be somebody that I, I think you should definitely, if you can have her as a chat, you know, for, for this, in terms of alone, how to preserve Cuban heritage, she's been doing it. Yeah. You know, I mean, she, she she literally has been doing it and literally on a blog and she yeah. has like a cookbook and everything. Um, yeah. So yeah, actually, yeah, that she would be a great resource in, in terms of that. Yeah. Food, food seems very ingrained. Well, in any culture, but yeah, food and family, they're like food family. You just can't separate any of those things out. They're just. So I'm glad you mentioned that because we're going to get on a very controversial subject now that we were talking about LA. Okay. Um, so, you know, how you were talking about preserving culture, right? Have you heard of Porto's bakery? Yes. I've been there a few times. Okay. You've been there a few times. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I had never, I mean, I've been lucky enough to travel a lot and I have never seen a bakery like that in the world. Like that size, that, Right. You, I mean, I, it's funny cause we went, we went to three of them while we were out there. And the first one we went to, which is the one in Burbank, is yeah. actually the smallest one. Wow. And when we, we, did, we didn't know, we didn't know. We didn't know. But when we went to the one in Burbank, again, which is the smallest one, we were like, this is the biggest bakery we've ever seen. <laughs> like, it was huge. When we ended up Especially the, the biggest Cuban bakery, right. you know, because I, I no, mean, but, but you to Miami, like the, the average Cuban bakery is like the size of maybe somebody's living room and dining room. You but know, even, and, even, even that one, even the one in Burbank was just, I had never seen a bakery that big. When we go to the one in like West Covina and the one in, um, I always I, forget. By, the, by Knott's Berry Farm, by, I remember. Um, See, by Knott's Berry Farm. By, Knott's, by one of the parks. Those are like the size of BJ's, like or Costco. They're enormous and they're beautiful. I mean, they're just beautiful. Like architecturally, they're just mm -hmm. stunning. And everything is so perfect. And there's such a huge array of, of you know, different desserts and breads and coffees and stuff like that. And meals, they ha actually have food there. And we interviewed actually uh, Betty Porto, who is the daughter of the founder. And um, they started off as a Cuban traditional Cuban panaderia in a strip mall in, I think, Bur was it Burbank? I, no, 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 in uh, Glendale? I think in it was Glendale. Glendale, Glendale. Yeah, they started off as like a Cuban panaderia. And when you go there now, it doesn't feel Cuban. And we, we, we actually met with Betty and she was amazing. And she explained to us that if they were going to survive, they needed to expand the business and not just only offer um, you know, like patelitos de guayaba and a Cuban sandwich. They needed to now offer, you know, turkey sandwiches and this and, type and, of sandwich. And mocha coffee. And, right. You know. so, so from a business perspective, obviously, they were right on track, which shows because now they have an empire. A yeah, I think they've got like, what, six or seven, <laughs> six or seven. locations. Yeah, so, and, yeah. And, and, and I think she was saying that each location gets on average between twelve to 14,000 people a day. Well, I mean, we were there on average... Uh, when we would go visit Portos, we were there for maybe on average about like two hours every time we we went to one. Yeah, yeah. It never had a lull. Yeah, there's it a lot of lines there. There's like two lines, and it was always going there was out always a line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 always so, a line. So we went to three of them, and we ate in all three of them, and we interviewed.
interviewed Betty and Betty gave us the whole history of it and all that. And we were very conflicted because on a one hand, this is the epitome of the immigrant success story. These people came to the U.S. with nothing, absolutely nothing. Her mom started baking cakes. Like, her mom was like a total rock star. In the house in Cuba, like, even when the food was rationed in Cuba, um, her mom started making cakes. And when she came here, like, she started saving money and sending it to the U.S. But they came with almost, like, nothing here. Yeah. And they built an empire i mean portos is an empire yeah, yeah make no mistake about it it's it's an empire and they are the ultimate success story and so on the one hand you feel very proud that you know as a cuban that like damn they built the largest bakery chain in like the west coast of california like this cuban family so you feel very proud but on the other hand we were very conflicted because like a lot of the cuban dishes that they have on the menu are just so watered down. They're, they're anglicized to a degree. Yes, like for example, the, one of the most biggest staples of Cuban, you know, food is un pastelito de guayaba, right? That is like if you want to symbolize Cuban cuisine, un pastelito de guayaba is yeah. up there. Like they call it like a strudel. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm like right. And then what was the other one? The cheese pastelito. The cheese. Was, it, what was it called? The a cheese, cheese roll. A cheese roll. A cheese a roll. Cheese roll. Yeah. And then we looked at their Cuban bread, and their Cuban bread is not. It's like, not what we know as Cuban bread. We know as Cuban know? bread. And I was like, I'm so conflicted. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm so conflicted. And then it's like, okay, but this is not. I don't want to say authentic because that's an insult to like such a again established business and such good people, but. That's and they are Cuban. I mean, the, they the are, Cuban. are Cuban. I mean, you yeah. can't get more Cuban. They come from Cuba. Yeah. It's not so yeah. you can't say they're not but, authentic. But, but they had to adapt to their surroundings, yeah. which made make sense and was successful to them. But in doing so, they lost a bit of the authenticity. Um, right. And we spoke to other people in the area that are Cuban, and they were like, you know, they're not really Cuban. Um, so we were very conflicted because we loved Betty and she was amazing. And, and we, the food there is phenomenal. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. The potato rolls, which again, Papa Rellenas. I call them potato rolls now when I talk about theirs. It's the Papa Rellena was so good. Like they had one that, cause we went around uh, the fall and they had like a Thanksgiving one. Yeah. That oh it was God. like a Thanksgiving dinner in your mouth. Like in a Papa Rellena. Everything, so oh. everything we had there was amazing. I mean, just amazing. But again, in terms of like now talking about specifically about Cuban heritage and Cuban food, um, it's, it's, not, I, I, it's not authentic. But again, but again, I go back to like my thing, right? It may not be quote unquote authentic, you know, whatever that means. But is that also a different way of preserving the heritage right because but, you're but but i'm making it, it you know i don't, you're, I don't you're, think it is i don't well, think it is but you're, you're but you're adapting you're, you know right but you're adapting to something that no longer is what it really was hmm. we just have to decide where the benchmark is like is the benchmark right. 1958 cuba or is it 19 is it 2020 like it, it's a little right. hard to I still love it there. <laughs> oh my god, I oh. love it there too. And I'm when we go back we're, to California, we're going. We're going. We're, we're going to go to Portos. I mean, like, yeah, just have no mistake about it. But you know, it's and and again, I want to make it very clear: we're not knocking Portos. Where at all? Again, what those people have built is at like that is the best 
immigrant success story I had ever heard. Like it is amazing what those people did and they did it through hard work. Right. Um, because coincidentally, uh, the Porto family is related to one of my assistants at work. Um, so I know also from her end, those people, it was blood, sweat, and tears, what they built. And, and again, if I was them, I would have done the same thing. If my, the same well, business my perspective, business, yeah, from a business perspective means expanding my menu and changing my staples, I would do it as well. So, you know, no, no criticism to it. But again, if we're talking specifically about authenticity, about like, yeah, what yeah, it but- is. And fair enough, but then you know, but then we got we go back to the question of how do we preserve it? You know what? Ultimately, it's what you're doing, Brian, which is you know telling those stories. It's what we're trying to do by interviewing yeah. you know a Betty Porto, and it's like you know what you're looking at that menu and and we're saying oh, this isn't really Cuban bread. Yeah, but you know what? You listen to the story, and they are Cuban. They yeah. have that story. They you know so you and you touched on this too, Darian, which is you have to just be storytellers because the yeah. minute that you stop telling these stories, people forget, you know, people won't realize it because right now, for instance, well, to continue on the Portos, it's no longer Portos Cuban. It's called Portos. Mm-hmm. So the average person may not know. They may think they're Italian, you know, like, like, you know, like, like your, your story, Brian, you know, because Porto could be, hell, it could be Portuguese, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, so you have to keep telling the stories so that we don't lose that visibility. Well, I love that they, in their boxes, they have pictures of the family. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in the store, they have, like, murals of, like, the family. So th- I, I love that. I, I When I first saw their packaging, I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. Because it, it has that whole legacy thing. But, but it is tricky. It, it, it is very tricky. Because then I also think, actually, somebody who's Cuban who grew up in L.A., and that is what they had from the very beginning, Portos, that is what they know un patelito to be. Right. So, when you, ask them, bread, yeah. so when you ask them, what is a Cuban patelito? This is a Cuban patelito, even if it is not, you know, 100% authentic. So, you know, that's another factor that each person has their own or could have their own definition of whatever, whether it's cuisine or, or what have you, you know. Well, I went to a Stefan kitchen in March when I was down in Miami. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and there's like, you know, Gloria has like this big tile. It's beautiful. You know, it's, yeah. And she has um, cauliflower rice. So like you get picadillo, but you get it with cauliflower rice. So I'm like, it's not Cuban, but it's still delicious. You know, right. it's reduced carbs. So I know she was doing that on purpose. So it's kind of like, what do you call the nouveau Cuban? I don't know. Yeah, that's also that's also a a result of where Estefan Kitchen is located, which is in the design district, which is a right. little more the higher end area. So, you know, if if you're going to go to an Estefan Kitchen in the design district next to, you know, Gucci and Ferragamo and all those other places, you're probably not going to pay. I mean, I've never been, so I don't know what, what the prices are, but let's say you're not necessarily gonna pay, you know, forty dollars for a plate of arroz con frijoles negro when you can go to La Ocho and get it for, you know, yeah, $8. And also, that's a very trendy area. Um, right. So you have to, you have to know your area, you know. I just want to kind of go up the list, you know. I just want to like, I've been there. Oh, listen. And when Bongo's was around, we used to go to Bongo's all the time. Bongo's, you know? Bongo's was more traditional Cuban. Cuisine. It was more traditional. But again, it was, it was that, it, that's what they were selling. 
yeah. you know, because it was the tourist. It was in the American Airlines arena. It was next to Bayside. So it was more aimed at the tourists where I think Estefan Kitchen is probably aimed more at, at the locals who are looking for a, a twist on Cuba. It's a, it's a different experience. Um, it, that's why I think it's, it's called Estefan Kitchen, whereas Bongos is Bongos Cuban cuisine. Um, yeah. This is more like, as we would have, we talked earlier, probably more like a finca, that it's the foundation Sweet. is Cuban food, but they're kind of mixing it up. Um, yeah. And even before Bongos, they had Larios, which Larios is kind of straight up Cuban, um, which actually Larios is still around. I was going to ask you, that's still around, right? It's still around, but they changed their menu. They're not straight up Cuban anymore. They're more Cuban, you know, a, you know, updating. Fusion the- or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I still love going to Miami airport because you guys have <laughs> Cuban, I mean, I'm, I make sure that my layover is like, it's gotta be two hours long because there's, there's, there's no other airport. Next time you do a layover or have a longer one. So we can meet up with you and take you. Yes. To, the yes. We, you, literally the next time, if we find out that you're in Miami and you did not tell us and you have a substantial amount of time here, we're going to be very upset, sir. We're going to take you to, we're going to take you to sandwich. Oh, awesome yeah. have you heard about them no amazing it's one of my favorite stories they inspire me every day they another another cuban success story to, right to like, leave to leave my career and do what you know what i love um so they were he was i believe he worked for gucci he uh, was a high, he worked at a high-end fashion company either gucci or uh i know or dolce and gabbana i know it was italian because he, i know he, he used to go to italy job with, with them yeah and and he made a decent living and she was an attorney um and she worked at a pretty good firm and you know it came to a point where financially they were fine but he he just wasn't happy you know he was He's like, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I'm miserable in my career. I'm going to quit my job and do what I've always wanted to do, which was a sandwich shop. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because if you hear the story from that way, like I could just imagine somebody at that time saying, well, there's a million places in Miami to buy a Cuban sandwich. Like, right. I mean, they literally are. They're literally are. They had a trabajo bueno que tú tienes. Right. Con, con esta I, compañía. I, I, he already right. had kids. He already had kids. Right. And, right. Right. You know, and um, he did. And I think they started in a container. Um, they started doing pop-up events. They started doing at like festivals, like art festivals and things like that. And then once they got that fan base, then they opened up a little place on a street like Ayocho, which was it was like a shipping container that they turned into like a little it wasn't even yeah, a restaurant it was, because it was you, like a pop-up like it was like a pop-up thing and then the city initially they were okay with it but then i guess they realized they couldn't figure out how to zone it because of where it was located it's not really a building it's not a vehicle it's so they basically the city just gave them a hard time and they had to close it down eventually they reopened in a proper you know, strip mall, again, still on Cayocho on a street here in, in South, Southwest Miami. And they opened up a proper little shop. And when I say a little shop, I'm not exaggerating. I think it seats 20, 25. Mm-hmm. And, on a good day. And though it's very pretty inside, it looks very like colonial Cuba, uh, very classy. But um, the menu, I think they have five or six sandwiches on the menu, and they mm-hmm. did not reinvent the wheel. A no. Cuban sandwich is a Cuban sandwich. Una medianoche is a medianoche. Avite, pan con vitesa, pan con vite. They did not, he didn't go in there being like, oh, I'm going to reinvent the Cuban sandwich. Right. No. What they did was that they, they do a Cuban sandwich with very good ingredients. So the right. ham is, 
best ham you're going to get. The pork is a good pork. The Swiss cheese is a good Swiss cheese. Because, you know, a downside to that is that a lot of Cuban restaurants and all that, they use, like, the cheapest ham, <laughs> like, the cheapest Swiss cheese with the cheapest bread. So, you know, as we know, it's all about qual the quality of ingredients. So, and, and that sandwich is so it's been so successful and it's so popular that on any given day the line like mm -hmm. reaches the end of the strip mall and the wife eventually quit her job as an attorney as well and now they, they run this this, this, this yeah. sandwich shop yeah um, yeah i'd like to go there and it's the amazing the cuban nachos are so good oh my god the cuban nachos it's uh la, la mariquitas you know the mariquitas the plantain chips uh and then they have shredded uh a pork the pork the marinated pork marinated pork and then on top of that they put pickled red onions and then they they um they put like an aioli cilantro aioli sauce no it's not cilantro like no mojo like an, an uh, uh, aioli sauce garlic garlic aioli oh my god <laughs> like it's amazing and there's a lot of stories like that um do croqueta same thing they yeah. They opened up a croqueta establishment and it's super successful. And again, you think like croqueta, you could get a croqueta Miami? anywhere yeah. in Miami. Like, why, what are you doing? Right. But they're doing it with top ingredients. So the a regular ham croqueta tastes different because it, mm -hmm. I mean, they, they did expand the menu. Like, do croqueta has some like flavors that are out there, but it's still yeah. a croqueta. Um, so it's like there's a lot of happening. There's a lot happening right now in Miami. I feel that I, I don't know if this is. I think it's nationwide, but I feel that especially here, there's kind of been like a renaissance of heritage. Like people are very now all about heritage, and you know, opening up restaurants, opening up stores. Yeah. Like, do you know Martha of Miami? There's Martha of of LA, and there's Martha <laughs> of Miami. Those like Martha's. There's yeah. is Martha Miami at Miami AF. So. She opened up a lot. Her her kind of claim to fame in terms of her uh, merchandise was this shirt that says Cuban bread, but B-R-E-D, yeah. right? And it's yeah. in the logo of the Cuban bread. That's that's probably her most popular shirt. Yeah. So she's opened, she had an entire line of Cubanisms and Miamiisms and all that. And it's it's become so popular that she opened up her own brick and mortar store. And... Mm. And I mean, you go in there and you're gonna crack up at like the t-shirts yeah. and, and stuff. But like there's that. but there's also somebody who has another interesting story because she comes, you know, her her parents actually own a chain of shops here in Miami, the Balsang, that was opened up and her parents came, you know, they were immigrants, they came to this to this country as well. They opened up this shop. The goal was to provide, you know, quality products for people looking to send items back to Cuba in the in the eighties during when that was like the big thing. You know, you would you had, you know, everybody would pack the gusano when you go to, to Cuba and pack it full of stuff. And so you'd go to Valsang. And so she always grew up with that sense of culture because not only are her parents, you know, Cuban and they were they were born in the island and they came to this country, but that was the the crux of of their company, of their of their business was being part of the community, mm -hmm. you know, and making sure that everything we do is it has the community in mind and what, you know what people in Cuba now are having a hard time. I'm making this up, having a hard time finding socks. You know what? We're going to up our, 
our stocks of, of socks that we have in our stores because we know that's what people need right now and that's what people are gonna wanna send over there. So, you know, she, having grown up with that, has become, I mean, Martha of Miami you know, is, is her moniker, but she really is Miami. You know, she's the epitome of Miami and, and enveloped in that is her Cuban heritage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, you know, as he said, she captures not only the Cuban heritage, but like the Miami, you know, um, I feel it's like the Miami diaspora, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> like we have our own, you know, um, which is very specific. And, and again, it's very specific, not only if you're Cuban, whether you're Venezuelan or, you know, Colombian, Mexican, you know, pick, pick a Hispanic nationality. Because like, for example, here, everybody talks about Little Havana, but like, for example, Doral, which is a beautiful part of town, which is actually a little bit affluent. um, That's Venezuela. That's pure Venezuela. Yeah. Yeah. That's pure Venezuela. And, um, by Flagler Street, which is a very big thoroughfare here, um, it's very Nicaraguan. Yeah. Um, from uh, there's shopping centers there that are all like every store is Nicaraguan. So that's what I was saying that here, at least in South Florida, everybody is very, very proud of who they are and their heritage and their background and their country of origin. And we're all under like the umbrella of Miami. Like, you know, it's very unique. Yeah. Um, and you know, and everybody, everybody's very proud of their background. Yeah, I love it. Brian, I know you had only scheduled us for an hour, but honestly, I mean, if you, I, I, we could keep talking for like another six. Like honestly, just so feel free to let us know if if you have to if you have to well, go. I, or something. I, I, I actually have to go in a bit in a bit, but you know. But okay, I, I just have like two quick questions. I'm getting a podcast ready on Cuban heirlooms, so you know. We don't have a lot because my grandparents came over with like two suitcases. So <clears throat> it's like photos and like a San Lazaro statue. Like there, there's not a whole lot. So I was thinking, you know, to give kids like a domino set, like a nice one, not like a cheapy one. See. But like, you know, other ways, you know, turn cigar boxes into some, like to keep my family photos in a cigar box. So there's got to be ways I'm trying to teach the younger ones like, since since we don't have it we can make it so it's interesting because i mean again my my family came to this country my mom will tell you not only did she come to this country with nothing but they came over on a boat the boat started to sink so they literally came over with like nothing but you know what they had on their backs right i mean they were they were rescued by the coast guard it was a whole production um so i don't necessarily know that we have an heirloom outside of like you were saying like like photographs and things like that but what i've taken to doing like when my grandfather passed a few years back even though you know he was 5'5 five five, i'm 5'10 five he was a little punchier i'm more broad-shouldered Are so clearly oh uh, that's what i was about to say you know so i, I think i think that guayabera is an heirloom that is an heirloom that to me it will never fit me properly you know what i mean in my entire life but that's my heirloom and I don't have children of my own, but I will pass that on to, you know, my nephews and, and, and things like that. And, and I think that because we are the children of immigrants who well, are the descendants of immigrants who came to this country with very little smaller things, maybe hold more significance to us and become passable. Um, when my father's mother passed away years ago, the, I told my dad, the only thing I want, 
when I was maybe six or seven, she took me to eat at McDonald's or what have you. And they had the Berenstein Bears had like the little toys and I had the Happy Meal. And I gave her the little toy and she always kept it. And when she passed away, that was all I wanted. And I still have it here in my house. Wow. So, you know, those are the little things that, is it a Cuban heirloom? No, because it's, God knows there was like 8,000 of them <laughs> produced, you know, en masse for McDonald's, right? But we, we make those types of things our own. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree with the guayabera. And even if you don't have a guayabera, I mean, and it's funny because I, I personally do not like guayaberas. And I won't wear one. Like, that's how much I dislike yeah, I them. For me personally, my own taste in clothing um but even if you you don't have one that has been passed down to you i think it's very like if you want to talk about an heirloom that represents a specific people yeah i would say that's exactly what i was thinking um yeah. as well and they have them they have them for women they have them for children they have them for babies right. I mean, they have they have onesie guayaberas <laughs> they still have yeah. cuba vera they still have that store cuba vera you know i don't know if cuba vera is still around I think it is. I haven't seen them in a bit, but I think it is. But I think I drove by it when Martha was here. Um, but Cubavera, no, but that's a national brand, right? Yeah, Cubavera was a brand. I, Por eso. It, yeah, um, yeah. Like you could buy it at Macy's. Yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. Okay, but but Cubavera. Um, Guavera I mean, I'm assuming it was probably started by a Cuban, but... Yeah, but guavera really aren't guayaberas, because no. guayaberas are made of linen, and they have to have right. the embroidery. Guavera was more like a style, like a tropical, you know, palm yeah. trees and mangoes and <laughs> <laughs> style. No, I loved it. So I'm getting ready for um, tomorrow's National DNA Day, so... Ooh, I didn't know that. It's kind of exciting, so... Man, you know, there really is a day for everything. There, if, you, <laughs> if you go to the calendar, it's ridiculous. Like peanut butter day or blueberry day, it's it's out of control. So, <laughs> but DNA is family and genealogy. So, yeah, I try and pay attention to those. So that's why I'd mentioned if you guys had a DNA test. So those are just kind of those are just super fun. So and you never know, you know. So I have four percent Taino, oh, West African, um, that I don't have on my mom's side. So. Mm -hmm. Like I have siblings that I'm very close to have siblings, mm -hmm. but we have completely different stories, you know? Yeah. Like I'm closest to my sister, anyone else on the planet, but our stories are so different, even though we have the same mother. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I'm all this, I'm doing all these like self-discovery things. Like there's a Taino exhibit in, in New York at the Smithsonian. So I just have like a different path than my other siblings but they only always enjoy hearing about it but the dna test just made me feel even more connected because it knew that it was like i didn't tell them anything that it was taino from the eastern part of cuba it knew my heat maps it knew where my grandparents were from were from so the identity thing is just so much not that i was mean but it just made me pay more attention to to taino and, and that's, native that's, blood. that's probably why you have some taino in you because you are from the rio oh yeah because that's they so apparently there were a few dainos that survived the survived the great slaughter of the conquistadors um there were a handful and um they were in eastern cuba in what would be pina de rio uh they say that that's why a lot of 
times, people from Pinal del Rio and Oriente don't look um, look a little bit differently and speak, not necessarily like Spaniards. Yeah, and speak differently because they were mixed more mixed with Tainos. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Didn't they and have it, a, a meteor land there like a year ago? Yes. I, where was it? There, it, was, I, it was in Cuba. I just don't remember where exactly. But yeah. They yeah. had like, earth, there was an earth, remember it was like one week there was an earthquake and then there was a meteor and it was like, what is happening? Yes. Like, yeah. Cuba, like. I was like, was, <laughs> meteor. You, you know what's like really, now that we're talking about Tainos and all that, you know what's like really interesting? That an Indio out the way, which is such a symbolic of uh, Cuban Malta, was not Cuban. <laughs> I believe he was Dominican, and he went to the he went to Cuba to fight, you know, huh. to, to uh, fight on behalf of the you know, of the Indians um, or the uh, uh, native folk. Um, yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was. I don't forget if he was Puerto Rican or Dominican, but he was he was not Cuban. Hmm. Well, if he's a hero, well, we could still claim him. I don't know if he came and did yeah. something good in Cuba. Yeah, right? and he and he's from the Caribbean, so same yeah. Different. At the end of the day, we, we all have a very close knit Caribbean. Uh, I always say I always say about Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, and Cubans. Uh, I always say it's uh, you know the same same tree, different branches. Right. Um, we eat uh, fufu de plátano. Puerto Ricans eat um, mofongo. mofongo, and Dominicans eat mango, which is essentially the same thing, just with different toppings. <laughs> and for the record, I like the Puerto Rican one the best. <laughs> it is good. It is good. Mofongo is mofongo. Is oh my god, so good. Like, mofongo is so good with chicharrones. Yes. <laughs> you guys are making me hungry. Have you been to, have you been to Puerto Rico? I have been so only to the only to the capital. So, um, but I mean, it's it's hard not to go. Well, you've been to you've seen more than us. You've been to Havana, but I feel that it's hard to not to go to Havana and go to San Juan and not see like the similarities between not only between the physical island but the also the people. Well, Puerto Rico was weird because I had to go to a a Western Union in Puerto Rico, and there's WalMarts there, like. Puerto Rico doesn't feel like American U.S., but when you go there, there's a Walmart, and it's all in Spanish. And it was just, it's such an amazing mix of, that you, true. there'll never be a Walmart in Cuba. Well, I mean, not, you know, in present-day thinking. Yeah, so, not right now, yeah. So going to Cuba and then going to Puerto Rico, where Puerto Rico just has Walgreens and yeah. CBS and Walmart. Marshalls. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's the language is still like, I, don't, I didn't hear any English spoken there. So it's just still like, well, I always say, I've said this on our podcast, I always say, you know, when old school Cubans get all like on their high horse, that's like, oh, because us Cubans, we wanted to keep our identity and we wanted to be, you know, our own sovereign country from, you know, when they got acquired by the U.S. at the same time as Puerto Rico. And, you know, and we are our own people and, you know, the, you, you know we weren't going to be Americans. And I'm like, well, uh, you decided to go your own way and the Puerto Ricans stayed with the U.S. How did that work out for you? Right. Didn't turn out all that great in the long run, did it? Because <laughs> I know Puerto Rico's ha Puerto Rico has its fair share of problems, um, but I'd still rather be a hundred times in Puerto Rico than in Cuba. <laughs> Just so much smaller, you know, geographically. So, and you know, my people and there are, there are Cubans there. So, I just um, I'm just I think about Cuba every day, you know. 
Um, I think I think your story is fascinating, actually, because I, yeah, I think it's very, very much that you grew up, for all intents and purposes, as a white kid. You thinking you were Italian. Thinking you were Italian. <laughs> and, and much, much later in life, you were in your tw- tw- 20s, you said? Yeah, 20, 21. You, you were, yeah, you were in your 20s. You know, you're, at 21, you already are who you are. Yeah. You find out that you're Cuban, and now it's such a big part of who you are. And you're on like this this quest to find out more. Now, I will say on the plus side, because you thought you were Italian, at least you already had the whole talking with your hands thing down pat. Yeah. That's true. Because that translates perfectly to Cuban. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw two Cubans talking in Havana, in, in um, Trinidad. I'm like, they're going to fight. And they're like, no, that's just the way Cubans, they kind of, <laughs> they're like roosters. You know, they're kind of like... This intense time, like they're gonna fight, and they didn't fight. It's just like, no, that's just the way commun- Cubans communicate. Listen, so. there's an old joke that you know, what's the easiest way to, to you know, to to frustrate a Cuban? Tie his hands behind his back and tell him to tell you a story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I've heard that joke for Italians too. Exactly. So, so, so good. there good you go. Um, let me ask you now, with like everything you know about Cubans, and you know now yourself, are you able to spot Cubans? Am I able to what? Yes. Spot Cubans? Yeah, so I worked I worked for a, a bodybuilding company and I would see this. I'm like, she she's from Miami. And I looked at her, I'm like, she's Cuban. I could just start by looking at her and I'm like, Cubans have a certain look. And I said, I just, you know, I was nice. I'm like, oh by the way, you know, are you Cuban? She's like, Yeah, how did you know? And I'm like, I can I can just I can tell. Mm-hmm. There's some like the eyes and the face. You know, there's um, I, I said, also just the demeanor sometimes. I've said I've said this story several times, but um, do you know who Gina Torres is? Oh yeah, yeah, I love Gina Torres. Did you see her on Suits? Yes. Suits is my favorite show. Like, if you've heard any one of our hundred and seventh episodes, you will know that Suits is my favorite show. I go He's mentioned it once or twice. On how much I love that show. You know, it's an attorney show, and she actually was my favorite character. But I didn't know about her before Suits. She's, she's very big in the sci-fi world. And I know nothing about sci-fi other than The Matrix. Um, so I didn't know who Gina Torres was prior to Suits. And then, you know, she started doing Suits and I freaking love her. And she's my favorite character. And I worship the throne of Gina Torres. But anyway, in like, I don't know, the third season or something, they're, they're having a conversation about ordering takeout and she, and they're like, she says something like, "Oh, why don't you go get um some? Why don't you go get takeout from that little Cuban place I like? You know, the one that does that ropa vieja." And I pause the show and I go, "Hmm." The way she said ropa vieja, this, no. And I looked her up. I'm like, "Oh my god, she's Cuban!" Wow. <laughs> and just by that, so I think that's why I called you. Is, yes, you did. And I was like, "Oh my god, did you know Gina Torres was Cuban?" You know, and she's like. <laughs> She's legit Cuban. Like her, both of her parents were born and raised in Cuba, and she speaks Spanish. Um, I've Cuban. met her. She's lovely. Yeah, she. Uh, it's so funny because again, I had this image of her as this Anglo woman, right? And when I subsequently saw um, interviews of her speaking Spanish, I was like, oh my god! <laughs> like just the other day on her Instagram. Uh, Gloria Calderon Kellett sent her like, 
care box with like una cafetera and like Cuban. And she's like, oh my God, my friend got me una cafetera. Like, like very Cuban. And like cafe cubano y una tacita. And I'm like, oh my God. She's and keeping the, the heritage going. This but there you I go. Her, this image I had of her was so different and than what she really was. But yeah, yeah, the moment, the moment she said, oh, are you going to get Cuban? Uh, why don't we order Cuban from, from that little place? You know, I like the ropa vieja. I'm like, ropa vieja. Like, that's, that's not method acting. That's not that. <laughs> Caballero, we are everywhere. And, you know, we, we, we pop up where you least expect it. Yeah. The first like, time I had that, my grandmother said, I'm going to come over. I'm going to make you ropa vieja. I called my mom, my American <laughs> I'm like, mom, I think she's a lot, she's making me old clothes. Like I, it's, she's making, I called it dirty clothes cause I didn't, wasn't right. so I called my mom. I'm like, mom, I don't want to eat at her house cause she's making something called ropa sucia or something like that. <laughs> I went over there and it had been like cooking all day. It was the most delicious thing. And my mom's like, are you okay? Did you survive the dinner? I'm like, it wasn't, it wasn't what I thought. It's not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You That's know, wonderful. But with what we're talking about, who else that happened to me with? But more because of her look. What you were talking about, Brian, was um, what's your name, Melissa Garcia? Joanna Garcia. Joanna Garcia. Joanna Garcia from the show Reba. Yeah. Okay. Her daughter Cheyenne. I mean, you're talking about the Reba show. Like this is the epitome of like white. Anglo, yeah. like you know, the show was yeah. set in Texas. I mean, yes. and Reba McIntyre was her mother, and I remember that I'm like, I don't know, Cheyenne kind of looks like a typical Miami girl. And mind you, you know, she's dressed up for this part. I'm like, oh, look at that, Joanna Garcia is Cuban. Like, she was another one that I was like, whoa, like the, awesome. the radar is strong. Yeah. <laughs> because I, there was something about her, and I, I couldn't point because she obviously sounds. Anglo. She sounds like Reba McIntyre's daughter. She looks like she could be Reba McIntyre's daughter. But how did I somehow think that she there was, was something about her that was like something. we we could have gone to high school with that girl? Yeah, like, yeah. And you can't explain it because it's not even so much by the way she looks. It isn't. It isn't. Because I thought, yeah, we could have gone to high school with her. But explain it. Is it her nose? Is it her features? Is it her hair? It's, right. It's, like, it's hard to distinguish something other than, I don't know, I just have a feeling. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have to come up with a good word for Cuban radar. Yeah. Oh, that's true. We should. Yeah, yeah the yeah. radar was strong with her. I was like, oh, look at her, Joanna Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Nick Swisher from the Yankees, well, he played for the Yankees, a baseball player. He's married to a Cuban girl. Yep. I love it. Yeah. So. Anyway, well, I got to go, guys. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> no, thank you. This was thank super you. fun. If there's anything else you need, uh, just, you know, where we're at. And when yeah. you come down to Miami, you have your tour guides here. Yes, thank seriously. You, you, you better hit us up. The, if you could just get rid of this thing that's going on, like it's messy. I, I know. It's inconvenient. Listen, it's, we haven't recorded together in like about a month, and it's weird. It's okay, it. guys. This is coming to an end soon because, according to the president, we could inject disinfectant to our blood. I well, yeah, that's true. And because we're Cuban, we're just going to use Fabuloso. <laughs> okay, do you realize? <laughs> okay, that after he said that, Lysol had to put, put out a statement. Yeah. These are crazy times. What is it I always say, Darian? This is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. <laughs> I love anyway. it. Well, it was, a, it was a pleasure, Brian. 
Yes. Thank you so much. Very much. So Thanks we'll for meet. Being we'll, my first interview. So. Oh, it was a pleasure. We'll we'll meet again. Thank Absolutely, you so much. Man. I'll let you know All when right. I come down. All right. Yeah, for sure. All right. We have it. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.